Good morning. I'm so excited to see every single one of you here. I got a chance to meet some guests today, uh, which is always an awesome opportunity to get to know new people and for me to forget names, uh, which is always funny. So uh, here, here's the tip that I give just to have mercy on this guy, that when you reintroduce yourself, say, hey, do you remember me? My name is so-and-so. And I'm like, of course, absolutely, which I'm not trying to lie. Maybe, maybe that's a little lie, but I'm trying to remember and doing my best. So I'm just excited to be able to meet uh, new folks, get reconnected, and uh, just to help celebrate just the presence of God in people's lives. If you have your Bible, Book of Judges is what we have been sinking ourselves into. We've been talking about Samson in a way that did not get caught in um, in Sunday school. We learned a lot about Samson in Sunday school, but uh, when, growing up, all I knew of Samson was he beat people down with the jawbone of a donkey. Um, actually, we, we liked the King James Version because we felt like we could cuss when we read it. And some of you, you get what I'm talking about. And uh, then we knew about Samson and Delilah, and that's actually what we're finally getting to today. We're going to talk about Samson and Delilah. Today, specifically, there is a theme of today, and I think, if I remember right, this was the first message I began to pen out when I began to dream about this series months ago. And I knew that the Lord had specifically given me a direction to preach on a topic within the midst of this story that I thought would be important for us to talk about, and I just started writing, I just wrote down the word pressure. I wrote down the word pressure. Pressure is something important, I think something we all experience. Pressure defined is a continuous force applied or exerted upon or against an object. Uh, so for example, if I, I could touch my arm, but that's not necessarily pressure because pressure is continuous or exerted force upon something. It's, it's more than just something has touched you, something is pushing against you, that is pressure. And I think we all experience pressure. In fact, I'm willing to believe that every single one of you right now in this moment are experiencing pressure. Because the pastor gets louder and you feel pressure, don't you? <laughs> feel like your heart rate's going up. It's like, oh, what's he going to do today? Um, my, my, my mentor, my senior pastor from Midland, Michigan, Joel Stocker, uh, we had the youth, we, the youth just sat in the little section down here. And whenever he needed to talk about serious stuff, he would just come down and put his hand on the front row and talk to the whole congregation. And I would watch all of the students do this. It's like turtles. Like heads are going down, trying to go in the shell. He's not, I hope he's not talking directly to me? Why is he by the teenagers? I think he knew what he was doing, um, but it, it was this phenomenal thing, but pressure. But whether you feel it from me or not, and I hope you don't feel pressure from me, um, every single one of you are experiencing pressure in this moment. It's pressure that we all experience from the atmosphere. Did you know that right now that every single one of us are experiencing about 14 and a half pounds per square inch of pressure just from the atmosphere? In fact, if uh, some of you watch the Weather Channel, maybe you're like my in-laws or the Weather Channel is just always on. I never understood that. Uh, some of you, you do that. And you'll hear the weather man or weather woman say something like the atmospheric pressure. And we don't think much about it unless you're somebody like me. How many of you, when the baromic pressure grow, goes up, the atmospheric pressure goes up, how many of you get headaches like me? Oh, it's, it's all of us on this side, a few of us over here. What is it about this side? You guys are sensitive to pressure more than this side. Um, so we all experience that. Um, but also, if this is popping too much, Steve, wave at me and I'll grab the handheld. Um, we, we experience 
pressure on the inside. When you go to the doctor after they weigh you and they measure your height, what do they immediately check? Blood pressure, because we've got pressure flowing through our bodies. Our blood just doesn't sit still. It moves through arteries and veins, in and out of the heart to different parts of our body. We have a blood pressure that I was going to throw out the number, but I have no idea what is normal blood pressure. So every time I go to give blood, um, they'll tell me about blood pressure, and my response is always, is that good? And yes, you would think I would actually be used to that number by now. So we experience pressure on the inside. And so what happens is sometimes the pressure on the outside affects the inside. You and I have cavities in our body, things like our ears, our stomachs, our lungs. And those areas have to maintain pressure and a certain type of pressure or else we get a little bit discomforted. But sometimes something happens on the outside that changes the pressure on the inside. For example, anybody here, your ears pop when you fly? Anybody? Oh, that's all of us. Ears pop, why? Because the pressure on the inside and, and the ambient pressure on the outside stop being regulated and all of a sudden you feel the popping. Or, how many of you have ever gone snorkeling and had your ears pop? Water pressure. Let's talk about water pressure. Some of you are like, we have the worst water pressure at home. That's not what I'm talking about right now. But we could. But when you go down into the water and you experience pressure. I love snorkeling. Absolutely love it. One of the most terrifying things that ever happened to me because when you're snorkeling in the ocean, there are certain things that you don't want to see. I remember swimming into the side of a manatee. When you swim into a si the side of a non-human in the water, your mind goes toward one thing. And it's amazing, the Lord's Prayer, how fast it can come out of your mouth in that moment. And did you know that for every 33 feet of depth that you swim down in the water, it is an additional 15 pounds of pressure per square inch upon your body and upon your lungs, upon your ears? And some divers, some free divers, can go down deeper than 33 feet. And says some free divers can go down as far as 100 feet in the water without any equipment at all. And without any type of equipment, your body goes through so much pressure underneath that water that immediately it takes all of your blood and sends it toward two areas, your brain and your heart. And you're thinking, why not your hands and your feet? That's what you're swimming with. But it is this mentality, this, this not mentality, this response of your body that says that, I am being crushed, and therefore I need to protect what matters most. Water pressure. It's an amazing thing to think about. Because when you think about all of the technology that we own, that we operate in, in this day and age that we live in, in 2022, think about this. All of our technology, the submarines and the technology around that, we only have explored, get this, 20% of all of the ocean. 80% of the ocean has, has, is unexplored. It's not looked at. We don't know what's there. Part of me doesn't want to know what's there. But we don't know depths. We don't know how to map the oceans. Why? Because there are such depths and there is so much pressure down there that the best of the best of the submarines can't make it to those depths because every single one of those mechanisms, every single one of those boats, those ships, they have something called a crush depth. And what the crush depth is, it is that bottom line depth that if that boat, if that submarine goes below that crush depth, then it implodes and it is destroyed and lives are lost. 
Why am I talking about pressure so much this morning and talking about all of these? It's because I want us to understand that you and I have a crushed depth. We have pressure that we can't escape, pressure that we all go through, pressure that happens to every single one of us. And I even wrote this very, very simple thought down, is you really don't know yourself until you see yourself under pressure. You really just don't know yourself until you see yourself under pressure. Some of us are really good under pressure. Some of us not so good under pressure. And I've learned that I've thought maybe it's certain types of pressure. Some people are better at. Some people are worse at. But nevertheless, you really truly don't know somebody until you see them under pressure and you truly see the real person. Case in point, look at 2020. If we can go back and look at the social media of 2020, the postings of 2020, the political structure and the atmosphere of 2020, I don't know about you, there are sides of people and even sides of myself come out in that year that I didn't know existed. And people would call me and say the same thing over and over. Where did this come from? I can't believe this year did this to me. But the reality is this. I would even challenge you to look deep inside your life and realize that the year didn't bring it out. Perhaps, perhaps what came out was something that was already there. Pressure. And pressure gets the best of us. It does. Pressure gets, I mean, I love, I love sports. This may shock you. I like sports. Blow your mind away. I know. God, Lord, help the Lions today. Please, we need it bad. When I think about sports, at the highest levels, the pressure gets to the best of the best. In the 1990s, when we look at the Buffalo Bills, which I believe right now is the best team in, in, in the NFL, in the 1990s, nobody remembers the Buffalo Bills as, that's the team. They went to four straight Super Bowls. What did they remember? Oh, that's the team. They lost four Super Bowls. And people will talk about the Bills. I'm like, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I don't even know what the word Super Bowl means. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. We'll be texting each other today, lamenting. 1996, the Masters, Greg Norman, historic Hall of Fame golfer, has a lead like none other, but the pressure of the Masters got to him and ends up bogeying, double bogey, triple bogey. And all of a sudden, when he led the whole course, he finds himself missing out on the championship and never, ever again got a Masters. Never once. Bill Buckner, famous for playing first base for the Red Sox. He was actually my uncle's favorite player growing up. But when people think of Bill Buckner, they don't think of how good he is. They think about him underneath the pressure of the playoffs when a ground ball, a simple ground ball came to him and went between his legs and the other team scored. Oh, this one pains me. 1993 National Championship. University of Michigan is down by a bucket. And Chris Weber, who traveled, I will admit it, went down the court and thought he would call a timeout to help his team, but his team had no more timeouts, and that's a foul, and it gave the other team the ball back. Championship is over. Thank you. Somebody, I got some groans there. Thank you. We're all underneath pressure. Pressure that does want to crush us. We get pressure at work. We have pressure at home. We, yes, by, by the way, we do get pressure at church. or like pressure here. Let me tell you this. The most, the most asked for series out of the whole year 
I get it 12 months out of the year. Pastor Dave, when is the marriage series? When is the marriage series? I can't wait for the marriage series. I want to invite my friends. It is the most asked for series out of any other series I preach throughout the year. And the number one series that people don't want to come to is, wait for it, the marriage series. And people tell me, I'm not sure if we're going to come this year to the marriage series. I'm like, but you're married. And this is the most common thing. I, but I feel, I feel pressured into seeing things that are wrong that I don't want to see wrong. I'm like, well, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> they feel this pressure. I don't want to be there because I don't want to hear what I'm doing wrong. And I just, Pastor Dave just preached the, pre preached the Fruity Pebbles version of the gospel. And I don't know what that is. I literally just made that up. But we have pressure at home, pressure at work, pressure at church, pressure with relationships. You know what's coming up in about a month and a half? Pressure from the holidays. We got grown, man, we got a lot of liveliness on this side over here. This is the perfected side, sanctified side. This is the human side over here. All right, we'll talk. But we get all of this pressure and we get all of these things surrounding us. And on top, of, on top of all of it, every single one of us, or I should say almost all of us, have something pressure filled in the palm of our hands. Oh, somebody just sent me a message on Facebook. <laughs> Emails, texts, messages, direct messages, news, updates. I've seen people before service checking their, 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 their digicoins. Digicoins, I just say digicoins? Oh my word. My son will make fun of me for that one after. Everyone is connected to that. And when you wake up in the morning, and we wake up in the morning and we just don't look at the sunshine and breathe deep, what do we immediately do? We reach for the pressure machine. And we check the updates from the night before. What happened in the world between the time I went to sleep and the time that I went to bed? I can't believe all of this happened. We fill our lives with pressure. Pressure is that thing that wants to fill us and push us to our thresholds and crush us. In fact, when we look at Jesus, in fact, when Jesus was baptized, Jesus immediately went into the wilderness and went through 40 days of fasting. And it's there that the enemy, the devil, began to tempt Jesus. What did he begin to put upon him? He put upon him pressure. He saw Jesus at his most vulnerable and began to put pressure on him. If you do this, I will give you this. If you just allow this to happen, then I will do this. That even Jesus in his humanity went through pressure. Read the Gospels. Jesus had pressure even coming from his family where Jesus is doing ministry and people are like, oh, your family's waiting for you outside. You need to pay more attention to them. Or Jesus got pressure. When are you going to restore Israel and overthrow the Romans? When are you going to lead a revolt against the government? Pressure, pressure, pressure. Pressure is what Jesus underwent in the wilderness. That's how the devil tried to break him. And, it's, and we can't talk about Samson without talking about pressure. But I wonder, there's so many of us in this room that we're, we're spending our lives just trying to escape pressure. And I want to challenge you this morning. But I, I wrote it this way. We are so busy trying to depressurize our lives that we miss the things that God is actually trying to produce within the pressure. We are so busy trying to depressurize that instead of chasing after God and focusing on God and inviting God into moments, what we do is we spin our wheels trying to create the happy, pressure-less life. I'm here to say that pressure has been around since the beginning. And I don't think we know pressure like the ancients knew pressure. Well, they, well, they, they had a simpler life. You know what? The reality is they had no stores. If they wanted to eat, they had to go hunt. 
They had to plant. They had to harvest. They had to defend themselves from surrounding communities. Pressure is just nothing new under the sun, but it seems like in our Americanized Christianity that we want to pressure less Christianity. But I'm here to say this, that I believe that God wants to work within the pressure, and he's not necessarily calling you out of it. He wants you to invite him in the midst of it because perhaps if we'll invite Jesus into our pressure, that God can create something beautiful out of our lives. Give me a piece of coal and give me some pressure and I'll give you a diamond years later. Some of the most beautiful things can be produced out of pressure if we would invite Christ in the midst of that. We're so busy avoiding it. I don't want to avoid it. Yeah, you do. We all do that. But instead of avoiding the pressure, I wonder if we could take a cue from Samson and learning what he didn't do and learn how to invite God into it. So we get to our story, Judges chapter 16. Samson's story, this guy is such a mess. And I don't know about you, I'm very thankful that, that God did not have the scripture sanitized to show perfect lives. Thank you for the one amen down in the front row. That's awesome. The rest of you are like, I wish the Bible would have sanitized everybody's life so they all looked perfect. Listen, Samson, if you want a non-sanitized life, read Samson's story. The guy is a jerk. The guy doesn't even know what he's supposed to do, even, even though he knows what he's supposed to do. He makes decision after decision. He's compromised after compromise. And the patience of God, I'm so thankful that God is patient with all of us because whenever I'm looking at, at Samson making judgment calls, I sit back and my God, thank you for being patient with Dave Berenger. Thank you for being patient with all of us. But Samson, it's just one terrible decision after another. So after he goes through compromise, he makes his community with the Philistines. Instead of leading Israel against the Philistines, he befriends them and they become his community. And all of a sudden within that community, he begins to fight with them. And he is so detrimental to the children of Israel, to the nation of Israel, that Israel doesn't even want him anymore. It's like, I know you're here to save us. You're not doing anything uh, would you mind if we just handed you over? It's hilarious. It's like, uh, don't attack us, but we don't want you, so would you just give yourself up, and we'll call it good. Samson has made his bed, quite literally, with the Philistines. So we get to chapter 16, and Samson, he begins to visit Philistine prostitutes. He is literally just throwing his life away, one decision at a time. And while he's hanging out in the Philistine territory, he falls in love with the name of a person, and her name is Delilah. Makes me think of that, that DJ at night, uh, the songs with Delilah. I don't know why I went toward that. See, Emily, you know what I'm talking about. And he begins to fall in love with this woman. And it's there that they begin this relationship, and the Philistines... The Philistines who have been beaten down one, thing, one time after another, they've had their fields burned by Samson. They've had their crops burned by Samson. They had their harvest burned down. They lost 1,000 military men to Samson. They've got to find a way to take them down, so this is what they do. They pull, they pull Delilah aside, and they say this. The leader said, we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you each, if you give me the secret to Samson's strength. Now, now I want to give you a couple details. Now, first of all, it's the leaders of, of the Philistines, so we don't know if this is two or 20 leaders. We don't know. Secondly, 
each of them were going to give Delilah 1,100 pieces of silver. You can read it right there in the scripture. Now to understand what that means, okay, 10 pieces of silver was the equivalent to a year's wage. So each of them were going to give Delilah 110 years worth of wages. So if we translate that, so what I did was I went toward the most accurate thing in the world. I went to Google and I just said, how much is the average person make? That's all I typed in. And I got the number a little bit more than $31,000 a year. You take that and you times that by 110, 110 day, years worth of wages. It is equivalent to Delilah's going to get 3.4 million from each of the leaders of the Philistines. She doesn't love Samson. She's loving the 3.4 times whatever amount of leaders there are. This is what's going on. And so what we get to in chapter 16, starting in verse 6, this is how, it, this is how the scheme begins. If I can get on the right page. Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. All right. At what point would your little alarm go off in your head saying, that is the most random question in the world. Oh, I love you so much. So how do I get rid of your strength? And Samson begins to toy with her. If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. And so what begins is this little game where he goes to sleep, he likes naps. I believe everybody should take naps. Naps are one of the most biblical things you should do in, with your lives. And let me just point out, that is the most amens I've gotten this morning. So he takes a nap, and she binds him with these bowstrings, and then she yells, Samson, the Philistines are here, and he wakes up, they're standing there, and he snaps them like they're nothing, beats them down, and they run out. Mission failed. This doesn't just happen once. Now, if this would have happened once, you know, I'm getting a little suspicious, but this happens a total of three times. So what's your secret? What's your secret? Well, if I'm bound with this, if my hair is fastened to this, then I will be just as weak as any other man. Three times, the Philistines are on you. He wakes up, he breaks free, and he just puts a beat down on the Philistines in the room. And again, Samson at zero point is saying, what are you doing? This guy is a knucklehead. What are you doing? I think you're trying to take advantage of me. Nothing of the sort. He is so emotionally poured into it. Listen, I love emotions. I, I, I believe that emotions are a gift from God, but we cannot afford to be emotionally led. We must be a people that are spiritually led. Because our emotions, I think, are indicated for what's taking place on the inside. But that's why we need the Spirit of God to help call into question that which is happening on the inside. And he, not once, is bringing the Spirit of God into the pressure situation. And so the scripture says, a fourth time, look at there, verse 15, a fourth time she pours it on. I love how the Amplified says it. She said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and not told me where your great strength lies. And this is what it says in Amplified. When she pressured him day after day with her words and pleaded with him, he was annoyed to death. What started off as a playful progression really was about deadly pressure. She brought him 
with the pressure to his, we'll call it, crush depth. Brought him to his crush depth. The place where it was it's more than just three times, more than four times. The scripture says day after day, she pleaded with him. Day after day, he is going through pressure. And not once has he called out to God. Not once has he called out to the one that empowered him to, to take down Philistines, to, to rip apart a lion, to, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, to rip off the gate of a city and to carry it up a hill. Not once did he call out to the one that gave him the strength to get through the toughest moments. Not once did he do it. He allowed himself into that crush depth. And he's so emotionally bought into this situation that he begins to break. Verse 17. And he says this. And he told her all his heart. And he said, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. This is the crush depth right here. This is the crush depth. He is so worried about somebody liking him, so worried about being pleasing in someone else's eyes, so worried about somebody else's acceptance that he's willing to bankrupt and bow underneath the pressure and allow it to break him. I want you to understand something. Sometimes the pressure isn't about what you're handling, but how you are handling it. Sometimes in life, the pressure that we're going with, it's not about what you're handling, but how we're actually handling it. There is responsibility for us to learn how to handle it. And that's what we talked about last week. That's why we need good community. I am so thankful. In fact, I had a pastor last week call me up and talk. We talked for about an hour. He had some questions. And I remember him saying, Dave, I just got to ask you, it seems pretty lonely in ministry. Do you have anybody that you talk to? I remember sitting back, I'm like, absolutely. And let me give you three names. Let me give you a few names you can talk to as well outside of my name. And if we begin to talk about this idea of community, because listen, we were never meant to do life on our own. We need people. We need each other. We need the Lord. We, we need people. We need each other. So when we're greeting before I preach, it's more than just shaking a hand and showing a smile. We are creating connections that are necessary. Here he is alone. Here he has put himself into a compromising situation. And instead of handling it in a way that says, Jesus, or and at that time, Jehovah God, come and help me in this moment. He decides to deal with it all by himself. You see, we have to understand something when it comes to pressure. There's a difference between normative pressure and invited pressure. There's normal pressure in life, but there's also some of the pressure that we've invited into our lives by the, by the making of our own decisions and the choosing of our own paths that we have to recognize. And either pressure that we, are, that we are going through, we still have to come to the point where we have to recognize we need God's help in it. Listen, pressure will always be there. The psalmist says, you're, you're going to walk through the darkest valley. In fact, the scripture calls it the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to go through that type of pressure, but it's going to be fine because I'm going to be with you. But the problem is that so many of us are navigating the valleys and the, and the shadow of death, and we have not yet invited God to be with us in those moments. And so, Delilah lulls him in, shaves his head, and the Philistines capture him. The saddest passage I believe in scripture, and there's a lot of them. Judges chapter 16 verse 17 says, he told her with all of her heart, excuse me, I put the wrong scripture in here, let me get it here. 
And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, here it is. I will go out as the, at the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson got so familiar living life outside of God's presence being active in his life that he didn't even know that God wasn't his presence. God's always with us, but his presence was not upon him any longer. And it's the sadness. I'll go do what I've done before. I'll just go ahead and do it. I'll just go ahead and try to accomplish it. I'll go ahead and deal with my marriage the same way that I've always done it. I'll deal with my kids the same way. I'll deal with my coworkers the same way. We are so apt to deal with things on our own. And when the emergency comes, then we ask God into the picture. But I wonder, I wonder what type of beauty we can see come from our lives if we learn to invite Jesus into the initial part of every day, the initial part of our lives. So when the pressure does come, that we're not getting destroyed by the pressure, but something beautiful is being created see when the pressure is applied to you what's in you is going to come out when the pressure is applied what's in you will come out and Samson is proof that even the strongest have a crush depth and what happens to Samson is quite grotesque they gouge out his eyes they, they isolate him in a grain room he's lost his strength He's humiliated, and he is now pushing a grinding mill like the average animal. And I wrote this down. How does the enemy pressure us? What does he utilize the pressure to do in our lives? He does exactly to us what he did to Samson. Number one, pressure. He wants to use pressure to take your strength. He will pressure you so much that you'll begin to think, I can't do what I used to do. Pressure will make us feel abandoned. It will say things like, God has forgotten about me. Pressure wants to humiliate you like it humiliated him where we begin to look at our lives and say, man, I, feel, I don't feel any closer to, what, to, the, to the way I used to be with the Lord. Fourthly, it steals our sight of what reality looks like and all of a sudden the pressure has surrounded us and all we see is darkness around us. This is Samson. No strength, feeling abandoned, humiliated, and he has lost his sight of what the reality of things are really like. Not once did he was able to see, hey, I am God's chosen. All he saw was everything that he had lost and the enemy oppressing him. And so the question that I just posed to you this morning is what is the pressure you're dealing with? And for Samson, for Samson, his pressure came from toxic relationships and I would even argue his own lusts. What is lust? It's unbridled desire. This is the pressure that he's underneath. And my question is, what pressures do you deal with on, a, on the everyday? What pressures do you deal with? My biggest pressures are people's expectations. Pleasing people. Pastor, you shouldn't live to please people. I, that sounds great, but these are things that I deal with. Some of you don't have that problem at all, but you've got different pressures. We've all got pressures. Every single one of us have pressures that come on in that want to affect us. For some of you, you have pressures of family obligations or lack of boundaries in relationships. Some of you have pressures from school, college, grad school. Some of you have pressure that you live underneath because you're constantly comparing your life with somebody else. For some of you, you only go on social media only to see what other people are up to in order to kind of set the standard for your life and your day. Some of you feel pressure because of work and the job expectations. Some people feel pressure to live in such a way because 
If I live a certain way, then God will love me. And if I don't live that way, then God won't love you. That means, to me, your theology is messed. Because whether you realize it or not, God loves you. But some of you, in your mind, you feel this pressure that unless I live a certain way, that God will stop loving me and he'll stop be loving toward me. Some of you have pressure coming from unhealed wounds in your life. Some of you have addictive patterns in your life that has put pressure on your life. And I'm here to say, what crushes me might not crush you. And what crushes you may not crush me. And what pulverizes even the strongest is something that reminds us that all of us are susceptible to the crushing power of pressure. And I don't know where your your crush depth is. There's some situations I work underneath tremendous pressure and I am as cool as a cucumber. Man, I, I can think of times in ministry where flying, like my pants were on fire, just running and getting things done. I can work really well under pressure. And then all of a sudden, I can get a text from one person and it's this, it'll be a specific name that comes up on my phone and immediately the pressure is stifling and I can't move. What affects you might not affect me and vice versa. We all live underneath pressure. This morning I want to take an opportunity to to kind of speak to you about something that I think does add into this talk of pressure. Because as we get closer toward election day, we are going to experience more and more pressure. If you watch the lines today, Number one, I'm sorry. But number two, you're gonna experience commercials that will begin to pressure. And I wanna have a, make a pastoral statement this morning that I don't feel pressured to make from the aspect of people want me to say this. Every once in a while people will say, does the board pressure you to preach certain things? Oh, no, 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 I've got an amazing board, I've got a wonderful board. And they, not once have they pressured me like that. Not once. But I feel a, conviction in my spirit of something that I want to deal with that I want to talk about because there is a pressure to do exactly what the world wants us to do which is to conform to the patterns of this world and the scripture says don't be pressured into to conform to the patterns of the world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so I want to read a statement to you this morning as most of you know we don't deal with politics or elections from the pulpit in terms of taking a side with a political party you know full well that I won't go there In fact, I've said numerous times, I do not align myself with one political party. I am what I call a kingdom-minded independent, and it's given me freedom to make better decisions along not party lines, but kingdom principles that reflect the heart of God. I recognize that it's not sat well with people from either side, as people have pushed and pressured me to choose their preferred party. Periodically, I will make statements regarding stances, specifically as our country navigates changes and challenges. I do not, I do not think it's my responsibility to be reactive to every whim, change, or decision that comes from our state capital or our national capital. If that was the case, I would be doing this every single Sunday, and that's not why we gather. Today, I find myself feeling a conviction to address something that is happening within our state that, in my opinion, is a matter not of politics, but of morality. We are a church that is part of a fellowship or what some might call a denomination called the Assemblies of God. And even though we have that covering, we've enjoyed a diversity of church backgrounds of the people who attend. Along with a variety of backgrounds, we also have a diversity of political beliefs and stances. Simply said, our church has been the home for Republicans, Democrats, Independents, etc. I think that's in part to our ability to stick to proclaiming the kingdom 
and not a specific political party. As, as I said, every once in a while, something comes up in our country that surpasses politics that compels me as your pastor to address. And today is one of those days. I've never hidden the fact that we are a church that champions life. Simply said, we are a pro-life church. Why? Because I believe that God champions life. Jesus said it best, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. And when I say pro-life, I mean from the womb to the tomb, every human life, regardless of age, skin color, or nationality, matters to the Lord. Thank you for amening that. I recognize that we do have people who attend K first that do not take this stance. And I'm always open to conversation, and some of you have taken me up on that. I love that even though you may disagree with our stance on bring, being pro-life, you still choose to attend. I love that you feel listened to and understood and continue to call K-First your church home and me your pastor. As I've said, been asked numerous times, you do, uh, said numerous times, you don't have to have the same stance to attend K-First. You don't even need to be a Christian to, to attend. Our church will always be open to anyone who desires to come, and it is my heart that everyone in our community will have the opportunity to hear the good news of Christ. And because of that, all people will always be welcome. But we are and will continue to be a pro-life church. What we do and who we are, we're gonna always champion life. On June 24th this year, Roe versus Wade was overturned, sending the decision of abortion to the state level. Michigan already had a law in the books in 1931 banning abortion, and this law should have been actively enforced as soon as Roe was overturned, but it was not. And what has developed is a new proposal to go to the voters this November to potentially become the new standard of law regarding the issue of life, and it's known as Proposal 3 on the Michigan ballot. And if Michigan citizens vote yes to Proposal 3, all the significance of Roe versus Wade will be overturned or will be thrown out the window for at least in Michigan. In fact, what Proposal 3 will usher in will be a far worse than what has been done underneath Roe versus Wade. And as a responsible voter, I would implore you to never, ever vote uninformed. Let me repeat that. Never vote uninformed. Read, pray, ask questions, have peaceful dialogue. Pastor, are you going to put voter guides out here for us? I, I do not do that. It is our responsibility as individuals, as Americans, to research those things. I do want to bring to your attention Proposal 3. Why? Because the 100-word summary that will be on your ballots is very misleading and I believe is deceptive. We've heard it a, th a thousand times, the devil is in the details, and what's on the ballot does not explain or delve into the actual wording of the proposed constitutional amendment. It glosses over key points and hides what the amendment actually says or what it really doesn't say. Words have precise meanings. If there are, are omissions or if the text is vague, that multiple interpretations can be applicable, then chaos ensues. And without precise terminology, a judge may interpret many vague portions of the amendment to the detriment of both the mother and the unborn baby. Let me describe to you the information I've received of what will happen with Michigan and the approval of proposed three. Number one, abortion will become a constitutional right and would override the 1931 law that bans abortion in all instances except for the life of the mother. Number two, throughout abortions throughout all nine months of pregnancy will become legal, including partial birth. Number three, 
Any baby born alive during a botched abortion will not be protected even though the baby is living outside of the womb. He or she will not be protected. Number four, parental consent is nullified. Number five, the vagueness of the proposed amendment will open up the individual's own interpretation as opposed to clear, distinct standards. For example, the wording in the amendment says based on their actual potential perceived or alleged pregnancy outcomes. Here, the key term is pregnancy outcome. Abortion is a pregnancy outcome. Sterilization is a pregnancy outcome. Another word to use is individuals. This could include males and females since, we cannot get, since women cannot get pregnant on their own. Uh, men are included in the matters of all things related to pregnancy. Thus, men and boys may be per permitted to undergo sterilizations without parental consent or knowledge. The controversy over puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgeries may be permitted in this proposal. The wording is too vague and unclear. And thirdly, pr the proposal does not say physician but healthcare professional. The list of non-physician healthcare professionals is long, including counselors, therapists, psychologists, dentists, veterinarians, or even social workers. Number six, the actual amendment says the state cannot penalize or prosecute someone for aiding or assisting a pregnant individual in exercising their right with their, with their voluntary consent. Prime example, a school counselor, teacher, or neighbor, or minister, or anyone could transport a pregnant minor to Planned Parenthood where that person could get an abortion without any parental consent or knowledge. In other words, they can't give your child an aspirin at school without your permission, but they could take your child to go get an abortion. Another example is if a 13-year-old was raped and impregnated by a relative or friend, that person could coerce her into consenting to have an abortion. Why? Because that would be a pregnancy outcome. And the rapist could no longer be prosecuted for assisting in that pregnancy outcome because the abortion, the evidence of the crime is now gone. And lastly, number seven, the law recording abortion clinics to pass health and safety inspections would be wiped out. Anything goes. Now let me be clear. I'm not standing here today stating that you should vote for any specific person or party or candidate in the upcoming elections. I'm asking you as a church to do three things. Number one, pray and seek the face of God. That's number one. Number two, read the scriptures. And number three, do not wait for election day and rely on the wording on a ballot. Study the candidates and the issues prior to the election. And I don't think I've done this in 13 years of being your pastor. And I, I almost said I apologize for saying this, but I, I really don't. I am imploring you as your pastor to vote no for proposal three. All human life is sacred. As a church, I'm gonna challenge you to pray. How? To pray for those in the place of decisions. Some of you have never sat across from somebody who has gone through it before. Some of you need to hear the stories of those who have had abortions and those that are in the midst of making the decisions. And you need to hear their hearts. Some of you need to feel their pain. And I and my wife and I, we've had the awesome privilege of walking people through the pain and the aftermath of not just what the abortion has done to them, it's what the church has done to them. So I'm asking us to pray 
for those in the place of decisions in their pregnancy or walking through the after effects of the abortion, for those who have made the decision, they don't need our condemnation. They don't need our condemnation. They don't need, they need to see the kindness and compassion of God. If they're needing help, us as a church, we will be quick to respond. Number two, pray that the Spirit will illuminate truth and transform the minds of people being deceived by culture and ungodly values. This goes beyond the abortion issue. This goes into every issue. Pray that we will hear from the Lord and heed Him because the Scripture says if we will call out to the Lord and we will lean upon Him, that perhaps He will heal our land. And number three, pray for wisdom for the church that we would be a compassionate people of faith and action. Well, Pastor Dave, what is K-First going to do? We're going to walk humbly about this. We're not going to hold our nose up high. We're going to hold our heads down low in sovereign prayer toward the Lord. We're going to be humble before the Lord. We're going to champion life. We're going to champion foster care and adoption. In fact, on November 20th, we're going to do a foster care and adoption Sunday. People ask, what are you doing about it? We're going to champion places, families, homes for children to be rescued and have a place to live. And for individuals who are making their decision about abortion, or for those who have made their decision and maybe have had them, what we are going to offer as a church, we're going to offer either discounted or completely free professional counseling so they can find healing for their souls. This church will be a safe place for everybody. We don't have to agree with somebody to give them love. We don't have to see eye to eye with their politics or their decisions to show genuine Christ-like compassion. I look at the words from Mordecai to, to Esther. It says in Esther 4.14, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. I think you and I should see ourselves here in Michigan in 2022, not as a casualty of culture, of what culture's created, but we see ourselves as divinely placed in Kalamazoo for such a time as this. And as the church of Jesus Christ, this is our time to allow our voices to be heard. From the way we pray, to the way we dialogue, to how we vote, this is our opportunity to make Michigan a safer, placer, a safer place for every human being. You can feel the pressure in the room, can't you? You can feel the pressure from the culture challenge us to make decisions to what everybody says is acceptable, but we have to always come back to the place where we say what is acceptable to the Lord. And I believe this is really what we see accumulate in the life of Samson. Putting himself, he already has normal pressure, but putting himself in the place of pressure. And he's at this place where he is crushed. But I want to remind you something, that we serve a God who doesn't just stand above the pressure and watch us suffer. He's God with us all the time. Because in Judges chapter 16, verse 22, it's such a subtle little scripture. It says this, but the hair on his head began to grow again. See, the hair didn't cause the strength. The hair was a reminder that he was set aside for Jesus. He was set aside for the Lord. He, was, he belonged to God. But I believe 
pushing that mill around at some point to wipe the sweat from his brow, he began to feel a little stubble on his hair, uh, on his head, and he began to remember the stubble on the head was a simple reminder that God had not left him. So five simple realities that I believe that Samson had that I want to leave you with. We're going to continue this message next week. We're going to preach on failure next week and redemption. I can't wait for next week. But five realities and we wrap up. So keyboardists, come up so I'll shut up here. Five realities. Number one, God sees you. You're in the midst of pressure. Maybe you've broken. Maybe you are at your crushed depth in life. I want you to know that God sees you. Secondly, God knows everything about your story. What has crushed you, what has broken you, what you've done, what has happened to you, God knows your story. Thirdly, God is always working in and on your story. If you feel abandoned, you need to challenge that emotion because a feeling doesn't dictate truth. I feel abandoned. That's, you know what? That's okay. I can value that. I can appreciate that. But here's the truth. You're not abandoned. God is with you. Samson may abandon the way of the Lord, but God didn't abandon Samson because as the hair is growing, I, I got to believe that Samson immediately began to think, hey, there's the outward symbol. Hey, there is a God that called me. Hey, God, meet me in the middle of this mess. Number four, God is greater, period. I don't care what has crushed you. God is greater, period. There's no buts. Well, you know what's pressing me? Do you know about the one that could push the waters to the side and cause an army to walk through? The same God that, that where people looked and they saw, they saw a city called Jericho and it was insurmountable. There's no way to topple it, but they didn't, there's pressure, what can we do? But they didn't count for the pressure of the hand of God pushing down on those walls so that Israel can go in and claim the land. We've got a God that is greater. And lastly, God can use your present pain in your future story for your good and for his glory. I don't know what you've been crushed by. I don't know what you've been broken by, what you've been fractured by. But I'm here to say that God can bring such healing in your life that he can take your present pain and seed it into your future story. You're just working on your testimony right now. And I believe the testimony of your life has not yet been finished, written. There's more to your story because God has not brought you this far just to bring you this far. Are you in a season of pressure? I don't want you to fret because you're about to discover a strength that you didn't know you had. We're gonna get, I can't start preaching next week. Dang it, I can't start preaching next week. Because Samson... He starts feeling the hair growing back. And what we're going to talk about, all right, what we're going to talk about next week, he actually prays to the Lord, asking God to come in. And if you're willing to do that in the pressure, it is amazing the pillars that you will knock down. It's amazing the victories that will take place. Not because of you, but because of the one that stands with you. Bow your heads with me. i got to shut up this morning. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I have done my best to be faithful with this word this morning. I have done my best to be faithful. 
And I ask, Lord, that you would just impact hearts and lives today. Because, Lord, I'm just sensing in the house that there are some people this morning that they feel they are just breaking under the pressure. I think of your word from Paul to the church in Corinth that says that you are pressed but not crushed. Pressed but not crushed. And Lord, there are some people here that they're feeling at their crushed depth, but Lord, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would just begin to impact hearts this morning, impact lives, impact people's souls this morning. I pray for strength where strength maybe has been lacking, maybe because they've been trying to navigate it on their own strength, making decisions with their own wisdom. So Lord, I ask this. I ask that you would just have a divine visitation of your presence upon hearts and lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you're here today and you're just underneath a lot of pressure right now. You feel like you are at your crush depth. The Lord has had me praying over you this whole week. If that's you, just lift up your hand. Pastor, I'm at my crush depth right now. It's relationships, it's work, it's job, it's family, it's sickness, it's physical situations right now, it's finances right now. Man, we've got hands going up everywhere. I'm here to say the Lord is here and he is with you. And I'm gonna ask it right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just begin to fill people's hearts, God. I pray that, Lord, spiritually, it's like the stubble is beginning to grow. Lord, that faith that seemed to be lacking, faith that seemed to be ripped away, Lord, I pray that right now a faith would grow and to rise and your presence would just begin to minister to people's hearts and their spirits. That your presence would give them a calm and a sense of peace that gives them hope. And Lord, it doesn't remove the pressure, but Lord, the hope that you give us gives us the strength to walk through the pressure and to come through on the other side of the sea. So Lord, I speak healing virtue. I speak strength where it seemed like there was none. I speak, I speak hope where it seemed like it was lacking. I speak love where people fell empty. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to meet each other in that. Lord, help us as a body of believers to continue to reach out to one another. Because Lord, the scripture says that we are to bear with one another each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Lord, I ask that we would be vulnerable enough to talk with people and to say, I need help. I need help. So Lord, I just speak grace and mercy upon one and all. Believing, Lord, that you're not just going to meet us in this place, in this worship center. But, Lord, when we go home, that, Lord, the pressure may be present, but, Lord, it's going to be different because we're going to recognize your presence is with us in the midst of it. You're going to walk us through. You're going to talk us through. You're going to heal us through. You're going to help work us through. And what's going to come out on the pressure on the other side is going to be a diamond of a life formed to, and shining with the glory of the Almighty. We speak that all in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me?